This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. The leaflets have been delivered, the sound bites worn out, the Facebook algorithms have been played and the punches have definitely not been thrown by anyone. Hello and welcome to the Red Box Politics Podcast in the Times. I'm Matt Chorley. It would be hard to describe what a miserable election this experience has been were it not for the fact I know you will feel exactly the same. But we are here to help with the sort of straight, honest public service broadcasting that you don't even get from public service broadcasters anymore. How to survive election night. What the seats to stay up for. What food should you eat and drink. Which channel should you watch. And what's it like to be at the heart of the action discovering that you're not about to run the country after all. All of that coming up, but don't forget, if you want to join us for the autopsy of this campaign, we've got a special live Times Plus event for Times subscribers at the News Building in London Bridge. Join us at 8.30 on Friday morning with a stellar lineup with the likes of David Aronovich, Philip Collins, Matthew Paris, Alice Thompson, Daniel Finkelstein, Tim Shipman, Camilla Long, Henry Zeffman and our very own Esther Weber to explain what has happened and what happens next. Tickets at mytimesplus.co.uk. So, in this final special episode of the podcast before polling day on Thursday, we try to answer all of those questions about what to do on polling night, calling on former government advisers, political journalists and the people who really know what they're talking about, like the food editor of The Times. But first, Red Box reporter Esther Webber is here with your indispensable guide to the seats to watch for and when to sleep. So, Esther, you've crunched the numbers, you've looked at the times of when the seats are going to come. Talk us through Thursday night. If you can, have a little nap Thursday afternoon. Yes, that's ideal because in general, polling day itself is quite quiet. There's a limit. There's a limit to what broadcasters can say. So try and take it easy on Thursday, Thursday evening as much as you can. Uh, if you're anything like me, what you'll do is you'll say you'll stay up for the exit poll and then go to bed. And then you'll end up staying up all night. (laughs) If you do stay up all night, then I've put together a bit of a list of where are the interesting spots to watch. All the big TV programmes start at 5 to 10. Yeah. uh, So that we get the exit poll, it all drops at 10 o'clock. If you want to know how the exit poll is put together and how it happens, listen back to the John Curtis episode we did a couple of weeks ago. So 10 o'clock exit poll, what Um, do we do then? And that's a huge moment, because if you remember in 2017... It showed 
a hung parliament with Tories' largest party. And there was this huge shock because I think there was only one poll that had predicted that outcome. And some people were just adamant that it couldn't be true. They couldn't believe it. Well, the weird thing about election night is there was this lull. There's the excitement of the exit poll. Then two, three hours before we... When, when can we expect the first result? The first result should come in around 11. And normally they're sort of of limited interest because they're safe Labour seats in the North East. Sunderland being the prime example of the one that, for reasons yes. unknown... Yeah, the time to beat, we hear, is 10.49, which was the earliest ever for Horton and Sunderland. So that's the first one on my list, is 11pm, Horton and Sunderland, expecting it to stay Labour by a kind of safe margin. But it will give us an idea of a swing and then potentially whether this potential idea of a movement of voters towards the Tories in the North East is filtering through. Because places in the North East which voted for Leave, if they look like there's a swing towards the Tories, a bit like how on the night of the uh, EU referendum campaign, People expected somewhere like Sunderland to vote leave, but it was by a bigger margin than everyone expected. And then that sort of, from set that moment on, tone. set the tone for the rest yeah. of the night. Then how long do we have to wait before a good one, that come, that, you know, an actual seat to watch? Well, the next one on my list is 1am. So there's a big, there's a big gap. A couple of hours of solid drinking <laughs> yes. before you get to there. Yeah, there'll be some sort of fairly predictable places filtering through between 11 and 1. Um, but around one we get Workington. Ah. And there's been a lot of attention on Workington, the need to win over Workington Man. And I think it's one of the first Labour seats we come to, uh, which under the MRP projection was a toss-up. So it could potentially go Tory. And if it does, that's a big moment we can sort of extrapolate that maybe other places like Workington are going to be lost to Labour for the first time ever. The next one on my list to watch, again quite a big gap, so maybe go away and get a coffee or <laughs> bananas are always bananas my favourite. Unless you're David Miliband, yeah. in which case steer clear of bananas. <laughs> or Jacob Rees-Mogg. Or Jacob Rees-Mogg, who famously is <laughs> terrified of it. 2.30am we will get Angus in Scotland, which is one of the several Tory-held marginals north of the border. I think the Tories have been sort of growing in confidence in Scotland in recent weeks and what had earlier been predicted to be a possible SNP sweeping the board may not come to pass so Angus will be one to watch for the picture in Scotland. Scotland is particularly interesting because there are so many three-way and even four-way marginals it's less predictable. Well a lot of them have got very small majorities. Yes we've got one in North East Fife currently have by SNP, which is a majority of just two votes, which I always like to think of as his mum and dad. Um, <laughs> well, I, I, if you could be sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and a lot of people really seeing that Scotland could hold the key in this in this election. I picked out Gower, which is one of the Labour-held seats in Wales that could go to the Tories. So that will be interesting to see 
whether there's a big shift in Wales. And this was this was one of the things that during the 2017 campaign, there was talk of a, a sort of Tory takeover of Wales. And then yeah. obviously the campaign played out differently. It didn't happen. Again, we've seen, I think even this week, a poll in Wales, I think it was a YouGov poll, which put the Tories not ahead, but really now in the gap with Labour, enough to make, I think, sort of seven or eight gains. So again, Gower's one to watch. Yeah, and, and again, this could not come to pass the margins are really narrow here between a touring majority and a hung parliament but go if you're looking at wales is one to watch at 2 30 around 3 a.m there'll be some interesting tweets for a number of reasons not least of all this is kind of when we get into potential scalp territory so at 3am we'll get Isha uh, in South West London which is the seat currently held by the Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab. This is the one that the Lib Dems have really got their eye on. Yes they've been going hell for leather in Isha and again under the MRP if the Tories have a good night he could well hang on to it. However, if the Lib Dems do win, then maybe they're having a slightly better night than people thought. On a similar theme, around the same time, so 3am, we'll get East Dunbartonshire, which is the (laughs) seat of the leader of the Lib Dems, and she's under pressure there from the SNP. So obviously that would be a huge moment if she did lose. It's pretty unusual to go into an election where two leaders, both Boris Johnson and Joe Swinson, have what are considered marginal seats. Yes. Yeah, it <laughs> were things to go very badly for them. They could end up losing their own seat. I'm pretty sure that the last time a sitting leader lost their seat was in 1906 with Arthur Balfour. Wow. So that, that would really be a huge moment. On a similar theme, at three we get Beaconsfield, which I've chosen just to have one of the refugees in there, <laughs> the people who've left their, their parties. That's Dominic Grieve. Because Dominic Grieve will stand there again as an independent. Um, and most of the people who've done that, who've left to become independence or Lib Dems seem to be at high risk of losing. Grieve is the one who we think has the best chance. Not least because he, although he's not standing for the Lib Dems, the Lib Dems have stood down. Yes. So he's he could potentially yeah. marry his loyal vote from local people with some Lib Dem vote and that might yeah. be enough to get him over the line. Yeah. I'm interested to see. Also 3am we have South Belfast which is a big target for the SDLP, so could break the DUP Sinn Féin duopoly that we've had the past few years. 4am is Canterbury, which was a big shock win for Labour last time, so they'll want to hold on to that. 4.30am is Uxbridge, which is the Prime Minister's seat. If the Tories have a good night, he's not predicted to lose but by then he could have an idea of whether he's going to be able to form a majority government. The only I think real big one after that is 5am if you're up then you've really been hitting the coffee hard (laughs) Um, that's when we'll know if Dennis Skinner the long serving Labour MP will hang on to his seat in 
Bolsover. The beast of Bolsover. And, and should, he should be the uh, father of the house, if he yes. hangs on, is the longest serving. Yeah, he would be in line because him and Ken Clark entered at exactly the same time. But Ken Clark was ahead of him in the queue to take his oath. So he was um, technically an MP for a yes, few minutes longer. Yeah. yeah. Very good. What is your plan? I, we haven't really discussed this. My, I think my plan is to be in the office for the exit poll, send an email to Redbox subscribers, sign up at the times.co.uk forward slash Redbox, then get a bit of sleep, and then come back into the office around the time all those results are coming out, sort of three, four o'clock, to do a morning email a bit earlier, hopefully with some sort of result on it. But what's your plan? I have a horrible feeling I'm going to end up staying up all night with some sort of catnap around <laughs> too. Um, but it's hard, it's hard to look away at these big moments. Well, I had pla- in 2017, I had high hopes of um, going to bed and instead I thought the result was so funny. I got incredibly drunk and had no sleep at all and ended up coming in, I think, in this very studio recording a podcast. So uh, hopefully um, nobody noticed. I did ask some other people this morning how they would get through the night. John McTurnan, a former Labour spin doctor, said, don't sleep, sleep is the enemy. Gabriel Milland, who was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, uh, used to work with Dominic Cummings. He said, this election, it'll be the staff Christmas party at a specialist vodka restaurant, followed by nausea, pain and regret. I'm not sure if that's a comment on the result or not. Janice Turner, Times columnist, disco nap in the afternoon, make bed on sofa, flip deliriously in and out of consciousness, watching TV until <laughs> dawn. John Brady makes a point, none of us have slept in years, Matt, come on. And Kenny Farkerson, uh, Times columnist in Scotland, said uh, he also recommends the disco nap, which, as somebody pointed out, a disco nap is supposed to be preparation for a night of sheer hedonism rather than seeing if John Curtis was right, which is what we're all going to be doing. Esther Weber, thanks very much. So that's what it's going to be like watching the election from afar. But what's it like on the inside when it turns out your party has not done as well as perhaps you hoped? I was talking to Stuart Wood, Lord Wood of Anfield, who was previously an advisor to Gordon Brown, and then an advisor to Ed Miliband in the run-up to the 2015 election, and we all know how that ended. And Paul Harrison, a former special advisor who worked on the 2017 Tory campaign, and became Theresa May's press secretary in the days that followed. They both know what it's like when election night goes bad. Here they are in their own words. At five minutes to ten on election night, you are absolutely exhausted. You have not had any sleep for six weeks. And it's not like just being awake. You are constantly stressed. You're always one text away or one hidden recording away from something going spectacularly wrong. And you feel, I guess at my level of seniority, you felt a lot of responsibility for every minute and every bit of it. I guess the two nights that I will remember most are in 2010 when I was with Gordon Brown. And um, we were in his house uh, just before 10 o'clock on the election night. He was having a nap upstairs. About five of us were downstairs watching TV, waiting for the exit poll. And it was a big surprise, 2010, because everyone thought Gordon Brown would lose, that Cameron would get a majority, and it turned out to be a hung parliament. Suddenly there was more energy around the place, and Gordon came down the stairs about ten minutes later and said, what's happened? It was quite extraordinary. The Prime Minister didn't know for ten minutes what the result of the exit poll was. But it definitely gave us lots of energy, even though the next five days proved to be fruitless from a Labour point of view. And then the one I guess I'll remember most is 2015, which was the lowest, which was Ed Miliband losing, where the general view was we spent the whole day in Doncaster, most of it holed up in his house, sitting and talking in the garden uh, with messages coming in, telling us that probably looked like we were just going to squeak in. And then the exit poll came out, which was a big shock to everyone. And the, the first reaction of that was, is the exit poll accurate? 
So, I mean, the story of, I suppose, of exit polls is that generally speaking, they're pretty good at predicting the size of the biggest party. And so, what, five out of the last six have been pretty well bang on. The exception was 2015, where it didn't necessarily look like, I think, from memory from the exit poll, the extent of David Cameron's majority was actually quite borne out. So in 2017, I suppose you delude yourself into hopefulness, thinking, well, maybe it's happened again. And certainly, Linton Crosby was going around the office with a load of pretty despondent staffers saying, look, we haven't lost anything yet. This is the first one where I won't be in central office uh, for a while looking at the results and looking at the exit poll when it comes out. So I'll have a blissful Thursday evening. I hope many of the listeners do as well. I suppose it divides down pretty obviously. Uh, 2015, a very good night. Uh, David Cameron defied expectations and, and got a majority. So, you know, there was a lot of Linton Crosby blowing a horn uh, when we gained seats and uh, general merriment. Uh, and then the opposite in 2017, where unexpectedly Theresa May lost a majority. We lined up and watched the exit poll in total silence in, in CCHQ because it forecast that we hadn't done anywhere near as well as as we'd hoped. And it was it was a shattering evening, to be honest. The building that we were in, Matthew Park Street, which is which is where the Tories uh, have been based for a while now, we'd taken over some extra space in the building in order to set up what was basically a party floor uh, right up at the top. And you had to have a wristband to be on the sort of work floor and then another wristband for the party floor. Uh, and it looked like the party floor bands would be sort of fairly prized possessions. And of course, that wasn't what happened at all because when the results started to come in, it looked like the exit poll was right and we'd gone significantly backwards things weren't looking good at all uh instead of partying it was more sorts of people drinking warm beer sitting around on the floor looking depressed i think the other thing to think about just just from a human point of view is at five to ten at the exit poll you have no idea whether six minutes later you were contemplating five years at number 10 with 24 hours a day stress but also the extreme exhilaration of being in power or whether six minutes later at one minute past ten you are facing the doll. You have absolutely no sense of what the next five years will be five minutes later. And that is a quite a stressful thing to be thinking about. And then when you get these situations when actually the exit poll is not determinative, where actually the exit poll, as it could be in this election, suggests, you know, who knows what happens next, then you have to sort of get your energy back up straight away and start fighting again. Different people take charge at different moments. In 2015... When the exit poll came through, Ed himself was quite shocked, I think. And immediately the phones started going and we had all our team back at base in London or wherever they were. We were on the phones trying to work out what to do. The answer is you can't really do much. There's this curious period after the exit poll comes out for the next four or five hours, really, before the first results come through, when all you're doing is is seeing criticism or comment or remarks from journalists and from fellow politicians and others... And there isn't much you can do, really, other than prepare. So what we did was someone in our team essentially said, right, we need to prepare different statements. If we've lost, if it's a hung parliament or in the the unlikely event that we've won. And you really just need to get process going in your team. And that was a couple of people in our team were very good at just kicking in and doing that straight away. But you need someone other than the boss to step forward and prepare for all the contingencies because, you know, the boss, the leader is absolutely exhausted and you know it's, it's extremely challenging then to have the perspective you need she was clearly upset and she came back to Tory central office to CCHU um, uh, in the small hours to say well you know 
thank you for all your hard work and I know this hasn't gone as well as we might have hoped but that was you know that was a pretty emotional moment for all of us one of the tips from a very senior person on the campaign was for some of the people who'd been special advisors and been around government for a while this person just came over and said try and cheer up the kids because there are lots of people who have kind of given their time uh, young people who've yeah, given up six or seven weeks and worked really hard and this is true of all parties who haven't got the result that they'd wanted and so we did try to do a little bit of that just to try and say keep your chins up there is also a very conveniently located bar across the road so a lot of us were sort of into and out of blue Boar. i think i had an old-fashioned about four o'clock in the morning so uh, either try to stay relatively dry and drink a lot of coffee or i'm going to drink some very nice wine this year because i don't have to keep up appearances uh, with anybody and i can uh, i can genuinely have fun but you've got a pretty tactical decision to make which is everyone will want to watch the exit poll you definitely should do that because it's your best indication to see whether the pulses over the last few weeks have been right or not uh, and as you say see the director of travel you've then got a decision about whether you are really bothered about seeing who of Sunderland and Newcastle can beat each other in the world's most <laughs> pointless race or whether you get a few hours kip if you can in which case stay off the coffee and wake up three four o'clock by which point you'll be seeing a picture that hopefully means something so i always go right through i always stay up for the whole thing because i can't really somehow seem to govern myself into doing something sensible <laughs> so adrenaline and coffee compensates for an awful lot of failings if, if you end up having something to do you won't feel like you want to go to sleep uh, and to be honest if you end up walking through the doors of downing street uh, on the day that will be more than enough to pep you up by the end, I think there's a real challenge after an election's finished because it is a huge anticlimax. You are exhausted. There is some sort of post-electoral sort of hole in your life uh, which needs to be filled. Your phone stops ringing straight away, especially if you lose. Well, if you lose, your phone definitely stops ringing. I do think it's worth thinking in advance before you go down the road of getting on that bus for six weeks and working 24 hours a day, think about what the day after will look like if you lose. It's a really good mental preparation. Everyone should think about it, and particularly politicians should think about it, because I think politicians who suddenly go from being uh, wall-to-wall covered uh, to having nothing much to do find it quite difficult. Stuart Woods and Paul Harrison there. Still to come, what to watch on election night and what to eat and drink. We'll be back after this short break. 
This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Welcome back to the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Cholly. Now, what to watch and what to eat and drink on election night. There are more options than ever. So who better to guide us through this than Hugo Rifkin, Times columnist, podcast regular, but for the purposes of this episode, TV reviewer. Only on Saturdays. So let's Saturday. pretend it's Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> and Tony Turnbull, food editor of the Times, which must be about the best job on the paper. Getting there, yeah. And, absolutely. And so, and so thin. Yes. And so thin, I know, I know. <laughs> Well, I eat a lot of bad food as well, so that helps. But you don't have to speak to any politicians? No. What no. amazing. Although you do have to speak to Giles Corrin. Swings and roundabouts. Swings and roundabouts. So, Hugo, first of all, yes. talk us through who's who's got the big signings, what channel should we be watching as the night unfolds? Well, it's always a bit weird not to watch the BBC on election night, I tend to think. You know, it looks, I mean, th- this will be the first election in, I think it's roughly 150 years that it's not going to be presented by David Dimbleby. <laughs> um, they've got Hugh Edwards doing that. Instead, someone in the Guardian was joking that he was going to be taking his clothes off because he's always taking his clothes off these days and posing Instagram style. But I don't think Who, he'll be doing Hugh that. Edwards, his Instagram feed is amazing. It's, oh, not, yeah. it's more it's more fashion than naked, I should say. That was a terrible slander. Yeah. I just did. <laughs> Maybe just in my dreams. Um, but so he'll be he'll be hosting. He's got Jeremy Vine doing the swingometer. The, the it's sort of increasingly insane swingometer that we've got the swingometer veered into parody. Ten years ago now, right? There was one in a uh, cowboy, cowboy and a horse or something, though, like where he was knows. dressed as a cowboy. Oh, a long time ago, I interviewed Armando Iannucci, and the best bit of our conversation was when he was talking about the swingometer, and he was talking about this thing that they once did where they got lots of children to paint a huge map of Britain the right sorts of colours. And he's saying you could tell that it was going to be chaos within 45 minutes, and by the end of the night, they just stopped cutting back to it. They'd, sort of, <laughs> they'd, they'd abandoned somebody like Kay Burley in this gym hall and just left her there to suffer with the children. But yeah, so that's the, that's the BBC. They've got um, they've got Andrew Neil in the studio as well, and they've got apparently got Andrew Marr out wandering around in various constituencies, which is a bit of a blow for him. You'd have thought it's like, yes, you can be part of our coverage, but only out in the cold all night in December. You got ITV, which is the one you sort of put on by mistake, really. Although it's not going to be terrible. Tom, Tom Bradby <laughs> is that their slogan? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, Tom Bradby is 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 chairing, and they've got Peston, uh, Rob Peston, and Allegra Stratton as well. Obviously, they've got their big signing is Joe Johnson, which should be quite interesting. Or be it careful, you'd have thought. And interesting, they, last time, their ITV was the one to watch in 2017 because they had Ed Balls, but crucially, George Osborne. Of course, and yes. Every result that came in, George Osborne's smile got wider and wider <laughs> to the point where he sort of almost <laughs> swallowed his own head. Yes, that, um, yeah, I'm not quite sure where George Osborne is. No, he's, he's, on ITV he's on ITV again, ITV again is he? I think they've also yeah. got Ruth Davidson. They, they've spent a yeah, lot of a, money on ITV. So, I mean, that, 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 will, that will be good for the chat. Yeah. You've always got, you've got to make your call between the chat and the breaking news. Yeah. You listen to the chat and then you flick back to see you see what you know what, what's happening where. Um, over on Sky, their big signing is John Burko. Small signing. Small signing. <laughs> big, big name, big name, small signing. I mean, they could fit other people there as well, I suppose, on the chair. That'll be kind of interesting because being the speaker, I mean, I know people say he's always been partial one way or another, but... Um, we'll finally find out what he thinks about Brexit. Finally find out what he thinks about <laughs> Brexit. Absolutely. But it'll be interesting to see how freely he, he feels able to speak because he's obviously gunning for a TV gig himself. And then you've got something alternative and wacky on Channel 4. I would add as a caveat, I'm nowhere on election night. No one ever asked me to do anything on election Nor night. Nor me. I've not been invited you know, to do anything. Even the Scottish referendum, I only got bloody CNN. So, um, <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, astonishing, really. So, yeah, but, um, if you want to book either of us, redbox at the times.co.uk. I'm washing my hair. Exactly right, exactly right. So, Tony, while we're gl- sitting down glued to the telly from five to ten, what should we be eating 
What should we be drinking? Is it just coffee all night? Alcohol? What do you recommend? Well, I'd, I'd recommend alcohol, obviously, because, I mean, and depending on which way things are going, either sort of champagne or gin to, to drown your sorrows. But um, I think the, the key thing with the alcohol front is to uh, decide when to start. You don't, want to, you don't want to peak too early, obviously. Am I allowed to start today? <laughs> what time is it? <laughs> Give it 20 minutes. What time do you think we should start? Do we wait until the exit poll? Is it 10 o'clock? Well, I, I think if, if you're trying to go long term and you're hoping to get through to anything sort of like approaching Uxbridge and South Ryslip or something like that, then I think you've got to start a bit later. You have got to pace yourself a bit. Really what you want to be trying to do is you want to try and um, simulate, I don't know, the, the Labour policy on Brexit. You want to keep it so sort of neutral, no one knows which way you're going. So, so you're, you're kind of, well, I might be sort of drinking earlier, I might be drinking late, I might be staying sober or, or whatever. Is that, does that mean sort of alternating between alcohol and coffee? I think that's probably, like, that's that's probably, that's probably that's a very good way to go. the Labour approach to... Uh, Absolutely, yeah. And what about food? There's a risk <laughs> that you just have three bags, bags of kettle crisps and they're all polished off by quarter past ten and then you've got nothing left. Nothing but the alcohol, which is where, where, yeah, the, yeah. where the trouble starts. I, I'd recommend probably to do something... You don't want to be doing anything which actually requires cooking during the evening because you don't want to, having stayed up, you don't want to then sort of you know, miss that crucial moment where something actually exciting happens, which I know apparently political... <laughs> aficionados say it does happen but so I'm, I'm don't, don't do a souffle so don't, don't do a souffle at, at sort of two o'clock in the morning yeah um i i'd make a nice sort of big pot of something like sort of you know, chili or something like that early in the evening something which you can eat at any time during the night uh, you can go back to it again and again and it will just sort of stay sitting there doesn't matter if it's hot or cold just or whatever bubbling away bubbling away exactly and at what point do you think we start eating all the Christmas food. <laughs> how, how long to the night? Oh, just I, go I, and get the Christmas pudding. I, th- I think I'd refer you to my earlier answer about how much you're drinking. OK, that's fine. And I, was, I was just wondering if, if it's a political statement on election night to exploit the gig economy by order, ordering a delivery. Well, do you know, in, in actual fact, I think if, if you're one of the sort of like doom mongers, then yeah. you ought to get yourself an Uber Eats because according to them, you know, Come, come Brexit, if that should happen, then there will be no restaurant staff, there will be no one delivering any food. So get it while make you it, can. Make, make the most make of it the most you can. can. Yeah. On the subject of Christmas, just because you did this in the paper at the weekend, who's got the best mince pie that we could be eating on Thursday night? Oh, you shouldn't ask me that, because I can't remember. As soon as I eat them, I sort of then forget about it. I think Waitrose, did they come out top, I think? Waitrose was certainly the most reliable across the board. So, uh, yeah, no surprise there. Very good. And so what will you, what will you actually be doing, Hugo? How are you on election night? Yeah. I'll be here. I'll be, I'll be writing my column for the next day. I'll be, I'll be having no... I've been, I've been invited to, to, to sort of various great fun parties that night, none of which I can go to, because instead I'll be sitting literally at my desk like I do all day anyway, watching the telly. With a bottle of gin and a... Bottle of gin and a, 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 and a revolver. <laughs> <laughs> Occasionally wandering over the news desk to find out that nothing's happened, I suppose. At least you've been invited. I've been invited to any parties. Oh, bless. You're going to be here as well? Yeah. Yeah, sad, isn't it? Tony, what about sort of carbs and protein, and what should the balance be? What's the what's the? Well, I, I mean, I, th- I think probably you should go protein heavy. Really, is is the way. So, I mean, if you are so minded, then it's like those little protein balls, which people, young people, seem to like eating these days. I, mean, I wouldn't myself. Protein balls. That's not something you give to an animal. They're, they're still, well, they are. They're like the stuff you feed to birds. I mean, little seed balls right. and stuff like that. But you know, I'm sure you could munch on those. To Just when I thought this election couldn't get any grimmer. <laughs> Spending the night eating eating like that's a bird. Gonna, protein that's gonna be, balls. That's gonna be Standing out, <laughs> standing out in the cold in Newcastle, <laughs> munching on a protein ball. Protein ball, but yeah, nuts. Nuts are very good. I'd, I'd go for nuts over crisps. I think probably 
slightly more nutritional value, don't they? Bananas. Bananas. Bananas, very good. Although they don't mix that well with the alcohol you're drinking. Yeah. You know, martini and banana, not really a classic. (laughs) (laughs) And sweets. There's always a thing in political circles where when there were late nights, everyone's always been fuelled by Haribos. Are they a good idea? Yeah, no, because that would just lead to that that sugar, sugar rush and then the crash afterwards. So, you know, then you'll never make it to... North Cornwall or whatever it is. Which, <laughs> is, that, is that always the last one to declare? Yeah, possibly. Or the R's are silly or something yeah, because they have right. to get it back on a boat. Uh, my sort of Glastonbury sweet consumption, my stamina snack is always a boost. Booster or a Snickers. 3am booster or a Snickers. You can push on through until at least 3.45. Well, in, in recent weeks, I've become slightly obsessed with a picnic. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's yeah. got everything in it. <laughs> so there we are so, so basically if you want to send us any alcohol invites to parties <laughs> uh, requests to appear on the telly or food picnics boosts and gin for Tony <laughs> what will you be doing Tony you actually going to stay well, in actual fact I, I'm afraid I'm one of these refuseniks I, I go to bed because I know I won't have the stamina to see it all the way through and then I think well I, I'd rather just wake up the next morning it'll be like Christmas won't it seeing what someone's brought you what Santa brought this year? <laughs> <laughs> and in the morning, so you wake up, you, you hit the drink then, a Bloody Mary. What, what would you recommend in the morning? Oh, I'd, I'd recommend, uh, boringly, coffee. Otherwise, yeah, just keep going with the martinis. Why not? Just martinis all martinis the way. Martinis all the way. Martinis all the way. That's like the best advice we've ever given on the podcast. <laughs> My thanks to Hugo and Tony. So there we have it. Try to have a disco nap between Sunderland and 2am. Try not to lose your majority. If you're watching on the telly, then watch the BBC. But if you're Andrew Mark, maybe get another agent. And if in doubt, pour yourself another martini. That is the Red Box Guide to Election Night. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss future episodes, including that one on Friday recorded live. If you want to be there, tickets at mytimesplus.co.uk. Send us any emails about how you're surviving election night at redboxatthetimes.co.uk. My huge thanks to all of my guests, Esther Webber, Paul Harrison, Stuart Wood, Hugo Rifkin and Tony Durnbull for me, Matt jolly it's goodbye this episode of politics without the boring bits is brought to you by luton rising owners of london luton airport the uk's most socially impactful airport find out more at lutonrising.org.uk